Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? This is the Class in Session podcast, and I am your host, Logan Taylor, with my amazing co-host, Mr. Dante Hampton. And listen, man, we have somebody that is very, very special coming on today. Uh, she is definitely such a gem, man. Listen to me. The gems that, you know, that she's going to drop, man, like I really need y'all to listen and take notes because she's worked in education and now she's an entrepreneur and just being able to shift like that man that's such an amazing attribute to have so i want to bring on miss tashina calhoun listen guys listen 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 please listen to what she's about to say and take notes all right dante yeah so um miss calhoun is the founder of a nonprofit, uh one belief organization as well as um mental health is great wealth um, she resides in Texas and she brings awareness to the mass uh, community in her community. She serves as the president of the organization as well. She also is an entrepreneur, as Logan said, educator, mentor. I mean, basically all in one. She does it all. She has it all going on. Um, and so we'll should get in and tell you a little bit about herself. But like Logan said, this lady is special. Um, she does a lot of stuff. Um, she's a first responder as far as uh, being certified. She just, uh, uh, I'm just going to let her tell it. Just going to tell them everything. You, you have so much going. I'm just going to let you tell. Them. Go ahead. Well, first of all, thank you both for allowing me on the platform. I'm super excited to be here. Like, why be normal? We're doing some different things. So super excited to be here with you guys and just jump on here and talk about the things that we can add value to the community that you serve, that we serve, that, that we live in. So just glad to be here today with you both. Um, as they said, I'm Tashina Calhoun based in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm a mother, entrepreneur, former educator, did that for about a decade and uh, then transitioned to entrepreneurship. But anything that we can do to here to add value to our educators in the community, uh, I'm all here for it. So I'm ready. All right. All right. Perfect. Perfect. All right, so they don't know, but you did. It's, it's kind of crazy how you tapped into the education world, because a lot of people think you have to do the traditional route. And but for you, you had a skill in coding, and you was able to teach that as far as um, the introductory, as far as getting into engineering. How how did that start? How did that come about? Well, just teaching in, in general, I always had a passion to teach and educate, even before I was an educator. So I remember when Obama was being sworn in as president and just sitting there watching it. And I was just like, man, I was already working with our youth, but I was like, what can I do to do more? Uh, I was already taking pictures on the side, but it really wasn't a business at the time. And one of my clients who was a principal, she was like, you know, we offer this in the schools. And I was like, really? And I just never really thought about, you know, the way that education had evolved over the years from when we were younger, you know. I think I had like typewriting um, business courses, but never anything where it was like hands-on where we can be like, oh, this is something that we can allow you to experience. So I started to explore that more. And so I went through proper steps uh, through the state of Texas, got certified in communications and technology education certification. So it covers a, a list, a multitude of things. And when I first started teaching, I was teaching web design, which I already knew how to design webs and I did coding. So it kind of was like, oh, okay, I know how to do this. But then also 
I was able to teach photography, which was a business that I was already forming in servicing clients. And so being able to get into the classroom in that space, I was excited because most of the kids wanted to be in the class. Every now and then I had those kids is like, I ain't even asked to be here. And I'm like, well, you here, <laughs> you know, but in most cases, you know, in an elective class, the student is choosing to be there with you and they're showing up there to learn that elective. So that is how photography and teaching came in. And I was just excited to be there and serve because, as I said, most of the kids wanted to be there. And so the fact that they wanted to be there and the fact that I was passionate about what I was sharing with them, it was just like a no brainer in the classroom. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. And just for the viewers and everybody, I just want y'all to know, y'all heard that correct. She didn't start out wanting to be a teacher. She got a certification and then because she already had the skill. So let's go back just so y'all know for y'all people who out there who maybe want to be a teacher, who maybe want to impact the kids. You don't always have to go the traditional route as far as getting a degree and all that. You can have a degree in something totally different and get a certification within that skill to help our youth. It is. And that's very true. Uh, now, being that I was elective, I do want to say this because not everybody's going to teach electives. That makes a small portion of the education system. Of course. So, you know, you have your your English, social studies, science, all the all the other class, biology, all those other courses. And so that are requirements that our kids have to have. So they have like, what is that, like 70 percent of their courses and the other 30 percent can be electives. So I'd like to say that because understanding those classes, the kids have to be there. And so it's like as an educator, when you're in that classroom where they have to be there and they may not necessarily want to, that starts to reflect on, okay, what can I do as an educator to make this an, envir an environment that they want to be in, a classroom that they enjoy coming to? How can I change the narrative of how they view it? They don't like biology already. What can I do to make this classroom more welcoming? And I think for me, one thing that I enjoyed all the years of teaching how I started my day. Like when they walked into that classroom, they're going to be listening. There's some motivation going on, whether it was like whatever I was listening to in the car, they most likely was listening to classroom. I was listening to gospel. We in there, uh, it's winning season in the classroom. Or if I was listening to Les Brown, that was playing. They're like, who is she listening to? We would do bell ringers. I would um, start the day with just nothing but positivity, really setting the tone, the atmosphere that they're walking into. And it changes the narrative, just shifts. Like they could be sitting there, having their quiet time in the morning before we start, you know, as they're getting prepared, but they're hearing these things, it's playing. I'm setting the atmosphere in the classroom. And then regardless of your subject matter, every educator can set the atmosphere and the tone for the classroom. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Set the tone. So, set the tone. Set the let tone. me let me let me ask you this. What um what is one piece of advice that you would give to someone that wants to work into the education space now of course we know that you did it the unconventional way and so for somebody that wants to get into the education space what is one piece of advice that you would give them well every state is different so i know that things like well, i taught for almost a decade and that was years ago texas passed this thing um well not a thing it was a law it highly qualified and I forgot the rest of it. <laughs> but every state is different. So definitely checking to see what the state uh, requirements are to be an educator. Um, in most cases, they do require uh, formal education. And then when you're going into something such as electives, they may have some uh, flexibility as it pertains to your experience in the professional realm. So if you're teaching um, business 
business courses, entrepreneurship, they may be more flexible with that as to say you want to go into teaching social studies and you don't have a, a former background in that. So just being educated on what it is that you're wanting to do going into that space. Um, once you're in that space, the other thing that you have to understand is knowing where you're going. You know, the students that you're serving, there's a, an array of students, some that are wealthy, some that are of a lower income level. Understanding the education system, the, the facility, the school that you're walking into, and how you're going to connect with those students and how you're going to get those students to want to learn and like you to learn from you. I love that. I love that. So let me ask you this. Um, did you ever have to do, so I know professional development, I know teachers do professional development. Was there any type of professional development in regards to being an elected teacher and things of that nature, or was your personal development kind of, kind of the same, like some of your peers that taught science or social studies or math or ELA and things of that nature? So professional development, they had it from a district level. We were required a minimum of 12, but it could go up to 24. And so the 12 is always going to be the same across the board. It's no differentiation as far as like, hey, this is what we need you to know. And then the other ones will be based on your um, your area that you focus on. So for me, it was, um, you know, I was a photography teacher, so that fell up under career in technology. So we had other things that we can explore and do. Now, also where I was at, the things that we were doing, I was in a position where I was able to write curriculum for the district. So my time that I was able to create curriculum for the district, I was able to let that go as my professional development that could count as ours. So, you know, you have some opportunity depending on what they're asking you to do or what's needing to be done to say, be flexible. Like, hey, if I do this for you guys, write this out, can this count as that? But they always have that guaranteed 12 and that 12 was consistent across the board for the district or for what that campus principals felt was necessary for the educators on that campus. That's good. That's good. So I just want to highlight some stuff you know said so far for the people who wants to be teachers or teachers who are already associated in the business right now. Um, she did say set the tone as far as atmosphere, as far as knowing your audience, um, knowing your demographic, knowing what teachers, I mean, teachers as well, but also knowing what students you're going to be around so you can actually have a connection there. So I just want to highlight that for our viewers and our listeners, um, all educators, make sure you know your demographics as far as what kind of students will be in your building, low income, middle class, exactly you're dealing with. Um, but why did you to them? That's What'd you say? I'm sorry. Add value because they're kids. They're still human beings. And I think what I didn't like, what I would see sometimes is where I felt like some teachers didn't respect the youth because they had like they had a lack of respect for them. They're still human beings. We do have to respect them, even though they're younger. There's a mutual respect. So I think that that plays a huge role in just really knowing like when you're going into that school, that classroom, you're there to serve. We're there to serve. We're educators. We're educators, but we're there to serve and add value. So what we're what we're doing, we're modeling how we want them to be always. OK. So, so why did you get into it? What, what made, what was your feeling to where it's like, you know what, even though somebody reached out to me as far as education, what made you say, okay, I'm ready. I just always wanted to add value to our youth. I was, I had a good upbringing. 
my, my, I was raised with my grandparents. Both of them were there. Um, my mom was there, but you know, my mom had me young. So I was a granny and pawpaw baby, but I just know that I was always doing the most as a, as a child. I was like, turn up, turn up, turn down for what? And I just know that I needed to have somebody there who I could talk to who can like, hey, you might want to do this. Hey, you might want to do that. Little just kind of staring me along the way. When I was teaching, I connected so much with the youth. They would always be coming to my classroom. Missy, Missy, we got to talk to you. Students that were my students and some that weren't. I was like, y'all have to go to class. But I saw the need there. And even before I knew the need before going there, I just wanted to add value. Whatever that is, if that is helpful tips about life, because they talk, you talk to them about so much more than just the course the course at hand. They need tips about life. They want to know about just being better students, how to be better in their families, how to be better friends. So really it's more so life skills. And I think one of the things we talked about is like, what do we wish that, or what would I change about the education field? We, the kids need life skills. We need to know how to, um, how to have better life skills, healthy relationships, healthier individuals, clear mindsets. And as we're able to take care of ourselves as adults, we know we can't pour from an empty cup, right? So it's like the kids need the same thing. We need to, they need to know they can't pour from empty cups. They have class. They have, some of them have jobs. I was teaching high school. Some of them had jobs. They were helping out their families. Some had sports. Some had all three. So understanding they still have a lot of stuff going on and they have to learn to balance as well. She's bringing it. She's bringing it. She's bringing it. I hope y'all are really listening, man. I really hope y'all truly are listening. Um, she's she's saying a lot of small things that can really impact our kids and also change change that narrative a little bit in you guys' classrooms, whether you be a principal, administrator, educator. Small things, I think, that can really um, change, whether it be just a, a kid simply improving in your classroom. So uh, what she's saying is very, very good. But that Absolutely. also goes for the adult as well. We can't, as educators, there's so much is packed on as teachers. Teachers can't pour from empty cups. You know, when I was teaching, uh, let me see. I was married and then, you know, I went through all of that stuff. And then, like, you know, separation, divorce. And then um, having a business outside, have kids. And my son was young at the time. So he had, like, all these different extracurricular sports. So understanding that as educators, we have to find a good balance when it comes to work, personal life. Um, if you have an outside business, if you have children and children have extracurricular or they have their little play dates, educators have to balance that stuff out too. There has to be a work-life balance because teachers can't pour from an empty cup. Not to mention you have the lesson planning, you have planning periods, PLCs, where you got to meet with other, other educators and talk about more lessons. And then you have your professional development. That is a lot. So just finding out what your what that looks like for you, taking care of you as an educator so that you can show up in the classroom and be the best person you can. What that looked like for me during teaching, I was going to bed at eight o'clock at night because I needed all my rest. So I had a very, very tight, tight schedule and I, there was no wiggle room. But on nights when I could, I was going to bed at like eight o'clock at night because I needed rest so I can get up early in the morning. I would be up sometimes. Now, mind you, I had a business outside of school. So sometimes I could be up early, like four. And in my times where I wasn't taking care of myself properly, I could be up early as 2.30 or 3 in the morning, trying to take care of work before work. So 
I wouldn't advise that, but at four o'clock is a good time to, you know, get up and get your day started. And that allows you to whatever you need to do in the morning, whether you're praying, meditating, setting the tone for the day, because you have to have time for you before you get up and get your spouse together, get your kids together, get them out. I taught high school. The bell rang at 725. So we had to leave the house about 630 or so. And so, you know, that could be a lot between 630 and 725, dropping kids off and getting them where they need to be and then still showing up refreshed and ready to go. So to do that, it required a lot of proper time management, a lot of scheduling and being efficient, sticking to a schedule, but still having little windows of time where I'm able to be like, okay, I have this window of time I can take for myself and just be to myself, think and meditate, just have quiet time because we need that. And then some days the only quiet time I got was in the car when I was leaving from work to go pick up my daughter or my kids from school. So just finding out what that looks like, because as an educator, there's a lot that we have to do. We have to show up in the classroom. You have to show up for your coworkers. So making sure that you're taking care of yourself in the meantime and you have a healthy balance from school to home. I would focus so hard on making sure all my lesson plans were done during the school day. I didn't want to take too much home. I didn't want to be at home and not be present. So I was making sure that I maximized my planning periods to do that. I didn't want to be the teacher on the weekend trying to write lesson plans on Sunday and then not being able to enjoy my actual time off. So you really have to plan your time efficiently to make sure that you're present at school. And then when you're home, you're present at home. That's good. That's good. Because I was like, I like ready to ask you about work-life balance. Oh, <laughs> you're right into it. So that's that's good. So she on fire right now, man. Listen, she's killing it. So let me let me ask you this. Um, I know you said you were you were a teacher for a decade. How did you, if you did, now if you did, how did you avoid um, educating educator burnout? If you did, if you didn't, then go into that and explain you know, um, how you overcame that. Um, and you know, what was that, what was that season like to, you know, go through educator, educator burnout? Cause we know that coming out of, you know, COVID you went from virtual to now these kids are going back and they're being there physically and being there and interacting with each other. And the teachers are even more, prone to want, you know, what I'm seeing is, is in the, the data that I've read is that more teachers are more prone to want to quit. They don't want to be educated no more. They want to go into a different field. So touch the on number, that. Good. The numbers of teachers quitting, I read the articles all the time. They're at an all-time high. So burnout, I will say you can get burnout in like the very, the very first six weeks of school, every school year, most tiring, most draining, even though I know what's happening, even though I know it's coming. You know, when I was teaching, we're starting back uh, beginning of August, professional development. You know, you're there 730 to 330. It's long days. You're going to the, you're not at the school. You might be at another campus or the, you know, the district office. Long days. Like, and I had a business and I noticed that every year my business, like I pretty much wouldn't even take clients like between August to mid-September because it was that much going on and it was always draining and it's just you know you have information overload and it's just like take all this in take all this in and it's like okay 
I just, I would like, that was a lot. So every year, didn't matter how many years, all 10 of those years, the beginning, those first six weeks were always the most draining. And I think during that time, again, early bedtimes helped for me. Uh, I would start going to get massages. I started at some point, I started to go get like some massages, you know, and then just things to take care of myself. I mean, you know, with whatever that is for ladies, it might be your nails, go get your hair done, um, going to a spa, spa house. Those things is there are things that I would do. I'm really big on personal development. So as much professional development that they would pour down us, I'm big on personal development. So, you know, some of the things I did enjoy in the professional development, but just, you know, when I go to listen to my audios, that's what I would do. And I would just zone out and that's what I would do. Now, over the course of the years, all the way up to COVID, a lot of people quit. That's actually like right when I made my transition to full-time. Cause I was working, like when I was working, I was already, my business was already at almost all of the salary. Like Texas teachers, when I started, I think they started this out like 50,000 a year oh, wow. in Texas, DFW. And so there's a sliding scale, but uh, DFW. So when I finished teaching, I think I was like at 56,000 a year. My business part-time was already doing like 40,000. So I was already, it was like 40,000, like minimum 40 and, you know, up to 50 part-time. So I was almost working the part-time full-time. So it was like, it was a lot. It was a lot. And so for me, just making sure to take care of myself, whatever, no, having boundaries in place to set limits, whatever that is. If you have these days, like on my schedule, Wednesday was always a personal day for me. Don't ask me to do anything on Wednesday, not doing it, can't do it. I block it out. Like whether that was a client friend, family, that was always me time. And it said it on my calendar, I made me time. And so what we need to do, educators, um, go on your phone, whatever that is, block that out. If it's Wednesday and Saturday, I, I know for sure mine was Wednesday and then it would fluctuate from Saturday to Sunday. And on those days, nobody could ask me to do anything, not a client, not my, my mom, not anybody, the kids. I put up a sign on the door. My daughter, she was younger at the time. She's like, oh, mommy has that sign up again. <laughs> it's like, don't ask me nothing. <laughs> you know, so she, had, I remember I put the sign out the door and she texted me. My phone was on silent. And she's like, I hit my head. And I was like, okay. I said, are you bleeding? She's like, no. And she said, but you have the sign on your door. And I was like, okay, you're all right. Put some mic on it. You know, so it's just like, whatever that is, set that boundary and say, do not knock on this door. Do not come in this room, like whatever that is. I just need me time and do that. Because again, if I don't have that, I can't be the effective mother I need to be, the effective teacher, educator, if your wife, a spouse. Because if I didn't do that, I think that that's when you find yourself lashing out. You know, you're, you're already in a space. You feel like everybody's here and there. And then they go, they ask you a question. You feel like snap back. Well, why did you snap back? Because I was angry because somebody was, you know, I needed time for me. Okay, well, take time for yourself. So um, just that's how I avoided burnout by making sure I had me time. Now, when it came to COVID, what that was like, so much changed. Teachers were now required to be like call center agents. They call in the house. They're trying to make sure, you know, you're, you're switching from in-person to virtual. You got some teachers that aren't even really, not everybody teaching communication technology. Not everybody's tech savvy. You know it for the classroom, but you know, some of our teachers are, you know, right? Yeah. It's just that <laughs> so they get they had us making phone calls, checking to see where the child was on virtual. Kid don't want to be there. The kids like, where's the laptop? I don't even have one. 
you know, they're they're trying to get everybody um, Chromebooks to the house. You got kids not showing up. That was a lot. So much changed. And it just, I think for people who are passionate about education, as I know I am and always will be uh, passionate about education, I enjoy, when I taught, I enjoyed connecting with students. When COVID happened, it wasn't about connecting with students. It was about how many students are present. We have numbers to meet. Um, you know, some schools, if they're low income title, you're getting paid. I mean, you know, paid for attendance. Where are the kids at? So it wasn't even about educating. It like took education out. It's like, okay, we have to document this, document that, paper show this, paper show that. And it's like, okay, so I'm getting paid to collect data and paper show. So I think for the people who are the educators who are passionate about educating, you know, you take us out of the classroom, you put us online. And if you're a personal person where you like human interaction, it's like, we really don't have that. I mean, now we're getting adjusted to this way virtually, but it's just so much changed. And then the workload increased. You have teachers quitting. The teacher that was next to me, he quit. And then they put his students on mine. Then you have the teacher to student ratio. What happened? I have like double the students, it's still one educator. And now like half the kids still aren't doing anything. So then the numbers are still, you know, they're off. So that's what happened with COVID. And as for educators quitting, I just feel like they're underpaid. Cause like I said, Texas in the DFW area, they're starting out 50 something, but I've seen places present day they like 30, 40,000. It's like, come on now. So, yeah, they real disrespectful with the pay when it comes to teachers. Yeah. Logan, this is going to go into my next question, too, that we ask everybody, too. Yep. This is gonna be yeah, I already know. This is good. This is good. Yes. Oh, what is it? Are you ready? So, speaking of money, is there a number or value that an educator can make to where you say, all right, I'm okay? Is there a median to where throughout the country where we could say, hey, we're just going to pay every teacher 80000 90000 100 k 60 k to where it is feasible to where a teacher – because like I tell – me and Logan talk about this all the time. If, if I put you in a jungle and you don't have anything, it's going to be horrible. But if I put you in a jungle where you have a camper, you have some water, you have a system, you might, you'll be okay. You can adjust. The main two things that teachers, in my opinion, need is what? Housing, car. Those are two essentials that have to be done. So if you can get somebody who's 26, 28, 30 years old, even 35, and you have some kind of plan to where you have housing, and it could be a home. You could purchase a small home, standard vehicle. I think those work, but that's just me. So on you, though. So your question is, is there a, a dollar amount that is a fair amount to pay educators? Throughout the country, though, not just Texas. Is there, yeah. a, is there a median, you think? Or in your case, you could do DFW since you know exactly what y'all make. Is there a number for DFW educators to say, hey, I, this works? So for those who want to be educators, because... It, I mean, regardless, you know, we always have to have people who are, you know, we're going to have people who work, we're going to have entrepreneurs, but there's, you know, people fall in different places. Of course. So I like, cause people always ask, well, would you, if they paid you X amount, would you go back? 
I don't desire to go back in the classroom. So I'm not answering this personally for myself. However, well, let me rephrase it. I don't desire to go back in the classroom as an educator for the state. Okay. okay. I go in the classroom, but it's for my, on my own. So as far as what educators should be paid in the, in today's economy, you know, there's educators. I was just talking to someone out in California and it's just like, you know, their cost of living is so ridiculously high. So I don't think that it, there's a certain amount across the board because it's going to vary from each state to city to, you know, what it costs to be in certain places. Dallas is the market is constantly rising as far as like the cost of living because so many people are moving here because, you know, it's more expensive where they're at. We have a lot of Californians moving here. They're driving our market through the roof. It's ridiculous, but it is what it is. So with that being said, I'll just say for Dallas, I think for this area, I mean, I did it as a single mom with the 50, 50 to 56,000. It worked, but like I said, but then I had my money on the outside, so I really couldn't tell the difference. I mean, because I still did whatever I need to do. Of so course. maybe like, I don't know. That's hard question to ask. 60, 70, 60, 70. I mean, because I did it, but I mean, the whole time I was like. We, we, well, take yourself out of We saying just a basic standard educator, someone who doesn't have the entrepreneurship, doesn't have the business. And we're going to say an age range, 26 to 35. Okay. Ooh. I don't know. I'm going to just say 75,000. I don't even know. That's probably 75,000. I don't know. That's Starting out? You know, but then that, you know why this will never happen though? Let me tell no, you. No, 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 don't try, don't try, don't try and get out of this. Don't try. Don't. Because I, my, I can't even look at this objectively because I've already, like my number, like I don't even see those numbers anymore. Those are like, <laughs> this is. We got you. We understand. I don't see those numbers. Those are not like, and even when I was, I don't see those numbers. I can't even say like. I mean, I've already, I'm like, I'm the, the same amount I'm saying, I've really already done that this year on my own. So it's like, I guess it have to have at least that. I don't know. Let me see. I have to do like the whole, what we got to break down those bills down, <laughs> but let's just say 75,000. But then the reason it won't happen is because they have to continue to give you raises. And so okay. it's like, we got to pay them this amount. So we have this much wiggle room to give them raise. So like, They've upped the income. They do it like they'll do like a four percent or two percent, yeah. and it's across the board. But you really don't see anything. So I mean, I wouldn't say fifty something because I always had more money coming in on the side. So maybe I'll say seventy, seventy-five thousand starting. But yeah. unfortunately, the way that the system set up, you know, about those veteran teachers, it's like they won't be able to sustain the different like the pay the pay scale. So. I don't like that question. I asked that that be removed. <laughs> I'm just that, that's all. That's all we asked that one. That's all we asked that one for. I'm just playing. No, it's all good. It's pushing the hot seat a little bit. Yeah, it very much did. I wasn't. See, I have to do those numbers, and then, like I said, you got to factor in the cost of living, man. It's like cost of living. You have gas prices, teachers driving, some people wherever they're kind of coming from, they may be driving a distance to work. You got to fill up the gas tank. You got rent on the rise. And then just the everything, everyday things that you guys are, or they are consuming as consumers to live. So lots of things to factor there. 
Absolutely, those different factors. But, you know, I just think me and like Dante said, we talk about this all the time. I just think that if you could have a system, right? So if we're going to pay, like if you're going to continue to pay teachers or educators that start out that amount in different states where it's 30 or 40,000, right? Why not have a housing program for them? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Why not have a automobile program for them right like there's so like there's so much that educators endure day in and day out like i was just listening to a podcast um yesterday and the teachers were talking about on minimum they do 60 hours a week you only get paid for 40. yeah no yeah that is true you there only is. get paid for 40. And so I'm giving you an extra 20 hours for free. Mm-mm. We got to figure something out. Like something, mm-hmm. something has to figure out, right? Like we have to figure something out. And so I think if we could come up with some type of program, whether if it's housing, like, hey, you're a first year educator or in your first five years, you know, we'll give you, we'll get you a house and, you know, we can, you know, give you, you know, some type of, you know, I don't know, program or so much, so much money off of the house, or they can give you, you know, a tiny house. You may get a two bedroom starting out, you know what I'm saying? And you pay $800 for rent or, you know, some, something like that. That would different. be something great on the, on the, like beginning the career, because by the time I purchased my home, the, the things that were in place for like first time home buyers for educators since I was making so much money outside of school, I didn't even apply for that. So I think that's good for somebody who's starting in the career to like, hey, right. we do have this because there are things that again, it's like you have to make so little to qualify. Like you're cultivating the minds of the future. Why can't we just help you because this is what you're doing? So there should be something in place where teachers are put in a position to win, whether that's a housing program, a car program, like there should be something. Cause like I said, by the time I was able to buy a house or even thought about buying a house, I was already making so much money inside that I couldn't even take advantage of it. So it's going into the career, starting, starting out your career like that, having something available where, you know, it takes care of your, your home and your car, those needs. I think that would be tremendous. That would be such a game changer. The teachers are cultivating the, the, the minds of our youth for the future. So, you know, we have to take care of them. I love it. I love it. Dante Dante came up with that question, and I remember him asking me that. And I was like, I ain't never think about that. Like, right? Like, they do because they deal with a lot, right? Like, you were with kids for seven and a half hours a day. More than the parents. Exactly. Yeah. So why not? And then how many partnerships out there? You mean tell me people can T-Mobile and all these people can get bought out by all these companies and we can't some kind of way partner a loan company with a a car company to give anything? Have to come up with something. We got to do better. Just know if the U.S., if the Department of Education ever do anything, you heard that here first. Just so you know. I tell everybody that if, if, if the Department of Education ever come out with something, I was part of that. They need to come out with something. Got to take care of our teachers. So. Absolutely. So let me let me ask you. We probably got two or three more questions. All um, right, let's do it before we get off of here. Let me ask you: What is a common myth about your job when you were an educator? What was a common myth that you were just like, I can't believe you 
y'all really think that that's what we go through or that's what we do. You know, we have we have have we have had principals that have been on the podcast and for them, they said the common myth was that people that are on the outside looking in, they thought that they were just paper pushers. Mm. So I think the common myth is that it's easy. Like there, you don't do anything. You just stand in front of the class and you know, you just share some stuff. Or I don't even think they share, I don't think people think we share things. They just think we're just in the classroom. Uh glorified babysitters, you know. Um, I've heard that before because it's like, oh, you get paid this much to just babysit. And it's like, no, we actually have to we do stuff. And so I think that's a common myth that you're not doing anything. However, there's a lot of planning that goes into everything that you're pouring out to those kids. And then if you're a teacher and you have multiple preps, my goodness, I always felt sorry for the people who have multiple preps because they have to do everything that they do for one class times two or three. You know, that's the lesson planning, writing the lesson plans, you know, and especially if you're a new teacher, developing all of this on your own, you get to collaborate with others. But ultimately, you have to write your own lesson plans. You have a guideline of what that looks like. But again, you're writing your own lesson plans, which you feel best works for you, the way you teach and your students, the way they are receiving what you're putting out. But then also understanding that you have to customize for IEPs, you know, for those kids who have special needs. You have to customize and differentiate learning. Okay, well, we're going to do it this way. We're going to focus on auditory here, kinesthetic here. And then, you know, just differentiating the lesson so that you're hitting everybody's way of learning. No student learns the same. So it's like you're not just standing there and doing nothing. Your lesson plan you're writing, you're writing it for the class as a whole, but then understanding that everybody has a different way of learning. and You have to be prepared to deliver that method of learning, how they learn so they can understand so that they are successful in your class. So they are meeting the requirements for the state. If you're in a class that teaches, you know, English, math, social studies, you have to personalize and customize that lesson learning experience for each student. And so it's not just, a, it's not an easy job. There's lots of preparation and you're just constantly fine tuning the learning experience, but there's lots of preparation. Uh, you have to know classroom management. You have to work with a diverse group of individuals, you know, you got someone over here who's happy-go-lucky, always happy to be there. You have someone at home that's struggling and doesn't even, they barely made it to school that morning. And they you're just trying to be on their good side so they don't, you know, disrupt the classroom environment. So there's lots of different things that you're managing. It's not just you just walk in and show up, okay, this is what we're doing today. Preparation and then customization for each student. And don't even add the coworkers to there. So <laughs> coworkers and admin, it's a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. That, it's funny you touched on that with the customization. How did you or how were you able because you said, you know, dealing with a diverse group of students, right? You have some kids that they have an EIP. You have some kids that they, you know, interrupt class. You have some kids that they are, you know, um, um, visual learners and things of that nature. Like, how are you able to make your classroom run so smoothly with being able to um, endure all of those different things? Okay, well, first off, setting the classroom environment. So I'm visual, so I always have lots of visuals around the class. So anything that I'm, I'm anticipating the needs of what they may ask and putting that somewhere in the classroom environment. So whether that's signage um, in our presentation but I'm anticipating the questions and having an answer before 
they even ask. So what my classroom would look like is they come in, you know, we have our morning time. They have like a bell ringer of work that they would do. After that, we would discuss it. So they've already, by the time they've already heard some things auditory, they had a bell ringer. So they looked at it. That's visual. And then they're doing it kinesthetic, right? Then we're going to discuss it. And then we get into the lesson plan. So we're already going back into it. So repetition deepens that impression. So now that we're in the lesson plan, it's repetitive. We're deepening that impression. And then once we're done, I'm just going to recap. Okay. I'm going to say it verbally. So you hear it. I'm going to show you again. And we've already done it. So I'm not, I may demonstrate it for those who need to. So I'm constantly going through those three ways of, you know, auditory, kinesthetic, and visual and then repeating it. So repetition deepens the impression. And then after that, you know, I ask questions if anyone has questions, but then I always had a thing. I would say, ask three before you ask me. Because once we're done teaching, I feel like if three people in the classroom did not know anything that's going on, then I didn't do my part. My communication needs to be so clear all three ways that if three people in the classroom don't know what's going on, then that means I failed. I didn't do something right. So it was always ask three before you ask me. So if they can, I'm taking it. I'm finna just gonna tell you. Ask three before you ask me. I'm taking it. I'm using it. He has all these good gems and nuggets now. You know what I'm saying? No, we gotta get like a bell. Every time I saw somebody drop a like a a gem or something, we gotta get us a little bell. But it's like your communication needs to be so clear. Like, and it's funny because in my friendships and my relationships with people, I'm like. I know that I'm a clear communicator. And so like I had this one friend, she always be teeter-tot and I'd be like, and I was like, I know I'm clear is, and she just be, she don't be getting it. And so like, she was telling me something happened with her the other day with her and another friend. And I was like, so how did it go again? Cause I know her communication is not up to par. And I'm like, girl, I was like, I think that that's all you. But uh, I think that again, our communication and education field needs to be so clear that we're precise and it's it's able to easily to understand and it's relatable but also if you need to translate it for the someone else to switch it up to how they understand it that's how clear it needs to be so so that's how i would um make sure to hit all three ways of learning for the students all right we we got we got one more question for you so this is on the this is on a larger scale right here Okay. So if there's if there's something you could change on the larger scale as far as nationally with the Department of Education, um, if any, what would it be? You know, for Tennessee, you know, we have standardized testing. You know, we have um, situations where based on um, like, for example, a thing I don't like in Tennessee is we grading scales are not based on college scale. Mm-hmm. And I talk about that because I'm a basketball coach, too, is how is it that in high school you don't have a shot clock, but you go to college, you have a shot clock. NBA, you have a shot clock. Mm-hmm. High school, you have these grades where it's 85 to 93, that's a B. Or 85 or 86 to 92, that's a B. When in college, you go 80 to a 90, that's a B. Mm-hmm. You're talking about tedious things that could determine a kid going to school for free, which is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. You're talking about five points in a sense of where a kid might um, didn't understand a question or just might be a bad tester to where he might have 384s and now he has a 2.0 mm-hmm. instead of a 3.0. Think about that 
trajectory. But you know, just some on the national scale, if there's something you think um, could be changed, what what would it be? The way that we do education in America is so different from other countries. So other countries, students are training or learning specifically for whatever it is that they desire to do in life from a young age. Absolutely. So that's something that is like, I don't really, I'm not on the, uh, I call it indoctrinated learning, mm -hmm. training, really not for that. Teach them what they need to know, what they're going to utilize. There's so many things that I, we were supposed to learn that it's like, for what, you know, I don't. Mm -hmm. I would, yeah, so we're just not even going to go into all that. So exponents, I don't think I've used exponents since it was assigned to me. So my daughter asked me something, I'm like, you know, we're going to ask your brother. And if he don't know, you know, we're going to find out. We'll go to Facebook, ask the Facebook family, who knows? But it's like, teach them things that they're going to learn, what they really will use. And as for standardized testing, what is that really saying? I mean, there's some, and then, and then even with standardized testing, some kids can still get out of it. If a parent calls school and says, my kid has X, Y, Z, they go, like, okay, they don't have to test. Or they may alter the tests or not alter, but adjust them for different testing. So it's like, is it really standardized across the board? Is everybody mm -hmm. still being held to that same measure? So it's like, what is the use for it? How is it applicable? And is it even relevant to have? So I think those are things. And if, and, and if it's not relevant, what can we put the, the money and the effort that's being put towards that, where else can that be refocused, reallocated to something of more use? So that's my thoughts on it. Uh, what would I like to, them to learn? Life skills, how to be better individuals, how to show up for themselves. Okay, okay. Yeah. Like I said, I just always ask, you know, um, it's just, you'd be surprised how many people agree with standardized testing. You'd be surprised how many people um, don't think like uh, me and Logan had a lady and she said she didn't think kids need to be given grades, which was was far. Like when I mean far, like she was. But her theory, it made sense, though, ever since she was saying you everything was basically the kid was measured by their value and understanding instead of a numerical grade. Hmm. And it was based on like um, kind of like. So it's based on like your success, um, mid success, you know, and it just went in tears of that way. But it was based on language. That's so vague, though. That's subjective to who, you know? Yeah. I I'm get just, it. There's a perspective out there. I get it. I think the reason we do numbers is because like it's easy to measure, you know, right. and if you do something else outside of that, it's like, how are we really able to measure this? Like, you know, you have a rubric and it's like, yeah. okay. You have 20 points, five, 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 you know? And yeah. So, okay, where do you fall on this? And it's like, it's easy to measure with the number system. So I think I get the numbers. If it's something else that's so vague like that, where it's not numerical, it's like, how do you measure that? And it's really subjective to the eye of the beholder at that point. And so there might be too much wiggle room there. So I don't know. But, like I said, it was, it was vague. It was something different, but... Yeah. I, I just like hearing different perspectives too. So it, it was it was cool. But with regards to what you said as it pertains to grading on a um, you know, up to 12, 12th grade education, you know, and then going into the high school set, not high school, from high school to college setting, I do think that there that would be better to have some kind of consistency across the board because it like interrupts everything that you've known up to 12th grade and you're like, Zhoop. okay, now it's yeah. college is this way. So right. that makes sense too. All right, wonderful. I love it.
So listen, before we get out of here, um, you know, Dante did ask that last question, but before we get out of here, listen, I want to uh, tip my hat to you. I want to say thank you. Um, you are such an amazing person. And just to be able to transition from being an educator for 10 years to going being an entrepreneur um, and doing, you know, all the amazing things that you're doing. I love it. I tip my hat to you. And listen, guys, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Make sure that you all tap in with Miss Tashina Calhoun. Do you hear me? If you in Texas, if you in Oklahoma, if you in Louisiana, New Mexico, wherever you may be, make sure that you all tap in with Miss Tashina Calhoun. She's amazing photographer. Even if you got questions about being an educator, listen, she has a decade worth. Yes, a decade worth of experience with being in the education field. And listen, I ain't saying all of that. So y'all can try to reel her back in. Like she ain't coming back. She yeah, we, ain't, we ain't recruiting now. We ain't doing no recruiting. Mm -mm, none of that. And so, um, again, listen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, you know, rocking with us, Tashina. Thank you for coming on here. And again, guys, listen, this is the Class in Session podcast. Yes, Make sure that you all like, subscribe, and comment. Listen, the more you all comment, the more you leave reviews, the higher we go up in the pecking order. And again, when, listen, it ain't about us, right? It's about you all and the value that we add. And so, again, make sure you review, make sure you like, make sure you yep. subscribe. Hey, share this with somebody. If you find yeah. value in it, share it with somebody, all right? Again, I am Logan Taylor. I am your host and my amazing co-host for the Class in Session podcast, Mr. Dante Hampton. Yep, yep, Tashina, yep. Again, thank you for coming on, man. We really appreciate you. And Thank listen, guys, we'll see y'all soon, all right? Peace. And always, why be normal? Why be normal when you can be extraordinary? <laughs>